Before we get into the episode, we'd just like to mention that due to the current global pandemic, we are conducting some of our discussions with guests on online mediums and therefore there might be some inconsistencies in audio quality in the conversations. Thank you so much for your understanding. Please note that the topics, issues and areas discussed in this podcast may cause distress to some listeners, as well as the possible use of bad language. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome back to Addressing the Elephant, the Mental Health Podcast. My name is Rachel. Thank you for joining me and thank you for having a conversation and opening a space to have conversations about mental health. Uh, This is part four of six of my podcast collaboration with IACAT, the Irish Association of Creative Art Therapists. Um, In this episode, I am going to be chatting with Noemi and Noemi is a dance and movement psychotherapist. Um, So we'll be explaining all things about dance and movement psychotherapy, what it is and what it involves. So yeah, we'll we'll just fly straight into it. I hope you enjoy. Uh, Noemi, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great. So before we kind of get into anything, I was wondering if you could just kind of explain a bit about your background, what you do, who you are, that sort of that sort of thing. Um, So I'm actually from France. I grew up in France up till the age of 18. And I kind of always knew that I wanted to work in the arts in some way. I just didn't know how. And when I was 18, I decided that I would move to England to my my first thing was that I wanted to be bilingual. So that was kind of the first goal. And when I was there, I met some people um, that had more life experience than me. And I decided to go to uni. I applied for this course in arts management. So I was meant to stay in England for like nine months and I ended up staying for 12 years. So I did this uh, BA in arts management and graduated after three years. And that was kind of just after the crash, uh, you know, financial crash. So things were a little bit dire for us. And of course, like life in London is very expensive. So finding a job in that was just kind of difficult. And I'd written my dissertation on art therapy because that's where my interest was. I wanted to do it on dance therapy, but actually I, I wasn't finding the kind of books from my uni. So I decided to go for art therapy, make it a little bit easier on myself. So I just kind of like worked and tried to make ends meet and it just wasn't really working for me for a few years. And at one point when I was about 26, I decided I was going to go to dance school. It was the second time I was trying to go to dance school, but I wasn't going for a BA this time. So it was kind of a little bit easier to get in. And it was a big life changing moment for me. And from that year, which still is the best year of my life, pre having a child, I decided to apply for the master's in dance movement psychotherapy at Goldsmiths. And so I did that then for the two years following that. And then in my in my second year on the master's, uh, I, I actually got pregnant. So I kind of had to defer finishing the master's itself. I got pregnant with my partner who's Irish. So we decided to move to Ireland. And that's how I ended up in Ireland. And uh, I finished my my dissertation for my master's three days before my daughter was born. So it was uh, was a big deal. (laughs) And uh, I got to go to my graduation with my baby in my arms. And it was just actually like such a big achievement. As soon as I graduated, I connected with ICA and I got a, a little job in dairy as a dance therapist. And it just felt like things were kind of falling into place as I was kind of working towards kind of setting up a private practice over here like I I felt a lot of blocks towards that because 
there aren't set jobs for creative arts therapists and certainly even less for dance therapists. I just found it a bit hard and there was quite a lot of work going on behind the scenes and then the pandemic hit. So I kind of just, it's not that I gave up the idea, but I just thought I'm going to work on more background stuff, like, you know, working on what is creating anxiety within myself towards, you know, having my own business as a dance movement therapist and creating networks and just working with people on getting the creative arts therapies out there. And now I'm starting my practice and I just feel like I'm on such a much better, stronger foundation and level and I have a lot of people around me and I feel like I'm just really strong with that. So mm-hmm. that's kind of my journey now. <laughs> that's really cool. In terms of dance and movement therapy, can you explain what dance and movement therapy is? Yeah, so I think I need to start first by saying that movement is a shared language for all life. We all move. And even when we're still, we're moving because we're breathing, our heart is beating inside all of our cells are moving everything is moving on the inside even if we don't see it on the outside so that's the first thing that I want to say absolutely and I wanted to read a couple of quotes from one of my favorite books called the embodied self movement and psychoanalysis written by Katya Bloom and um, I'll just read you the the little things because I think it really kind of explain really well so she says Attending to physical sensation and movement can support recognition of psychic states and provide a way of relating to them so that they may become more flexible and transparent. It can be said that the body exists in the here and now, although it is shaped by both the hopes and wishes for the future and the experiences and memories of the past. It exists concretely in the present, but the body is more than a concrete reality. It also reflects unconscious processes. And she also says, in experiencing the body more deeply, we build bridges between different modes of experience, cognitive, sensory and affective. And I think these two quotes really kind of just picture how I work with the body, just kind of on a very internal to external level. And I think it's also very important to to say that someone attending dance therapy doesn't have to be able-bodied and you don't have to know how to dance Mm. I'm a dance therapist I'm not going to teach the clients dance skills and that's a that's a very big difference that needs to be noted so the actual like the shortest kind of definition of what dance therapy is is the professional practice of psychotherapy through movement and it will support the integration of the body the mind and the spirit that just has this idea of of wholeness to it. Mm-hmm. As, as dance therapists, we are trained to pick up and respond non-verbally to the subtle nuances of feelings and communication inherent in movement. Like we learn skills like lab and movement analysis and Kistenberg movement profile, mm-hmm. ways to understand different forces and, and effort in the movement and what they might mean. And we learn to recognize them in other people. Mm-hmm. So it's actually, it's re- it, it can be really technical, but it's really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. And on kind of a sort of wider level, I suppose, we're, we're trained the same way as, as psychotherapists are. So we provide a, a safe space 
and we support the clients in expressing and communicating their feelings through movement. The movement in itself becomes the medium for sensing and understanding and communicating our ideas, feelings and experiences. Mm -hmm. So I'm trained in psychodynamic psychotherapy and I think that works really well with um, dance movement therapy because um, the focus is on the unconscious processes and of course like the body holds a lot of your feelings and past experiences within it so in psychodynamic psychotherapy you're looking at where your past experiences and how your past experiences affect your present feelings and behaviors and sometimes those past experiences are completely like you know buried completely unconscious that's why you work with the body so you can really honor that and see how they're affecting your presence and then kind of nearly rewire that So like someone that maybe is having like attachment issues to kind of um, difficulties with relating to to people in a certain way because of something that happened way, way back when. It could be that the the very first relationship they have where the the attachment model is a good one is with their therapist. You're kind of rewiring that in that therapeutic relationship. And it's just such such awesome work. And on an even kind of wider level. So if we're even if we're working in private practice or if we're working in the HSE or in any kind of organizations, Mm -hmm. you know, we know how to assess the needs of the clients. We know how to plan and implement and evaluate, you know, therapy interventions to address specific clinical goals. And of course the clinical goals can be very, very widely (laughs) from person to person and group to group. For sure. And I think even, even taking like a a little essence of what you said in the sense that like, I wouldn't be the best dancer now, you know, you can throw a few shapes on a night out, but (laughs) I wouldn't be a a dancer, but I do know that I enjoy the feeling of dancing and I enjoy the feeling of movement. And I actually think that if you look at like the way people dance or something like that, it's actually quite an emotional or emotive uh, medium for expressing yourself. And so for me, I, I can see how it it, it can be used in like, say, a therapeutic sense or at least in a, in a release of some sort of emotion, because I do think it is a is a powerful medium for people expressing when we're talking about dance. And I'm like, so why can't we make that leap to using it in a therapeutic sense as well? Absolutely. I think there is something really, really powerful about checking in with your own body, certainly like in our society we're we're nearly taught to disconnect from our bodies but our bodies our whole selves experience life and so for a lot of people I'm not saying everybody but for a lot of people there's a very big disconnect and especially if you've had a traumatic event to protect yourself there'll be a protection mechanism put into place because it can be just so hard to go there to kind of you don't want to re-experience that you don't want to relive that but checking in with your own body and and kind of seeing how things are, it gives you kind of a, an idea of your real state, you know, if you're really checking in with, with what's really going on inside of you, inside the whole of you. Mm-hmm. And so I suppose in terms of like dance and movement therapy like I'm assuming it's not you put on you know cotton eye joe and people let go but um (laughs) (laughs) I I, I'm just wondering like what kind of 
I, I would I I'm conscious that you know every person's journey and every person's process is completely individual and how I might interpret dance therapy would be completely different to someone else and how it could benefit me but I wonder are there some sort of types of activities or like in, in a general session is it that you know you just ask someone to to flow with an emotion they're in do you play a bit of music to evoke an emotion or how how does it kind of I again I know it, it's different for each people but even to give an mm-hmm. idea of what a session might be kind of like yeah absolutely so um the sessions are very much client-led so most dance movement psychotherapists will take the general order from Marion Chase and it's a check-in warm-up process uh, reflection checkout. So I'll just go through these things a little bit for you. So check-in would be arriving in the space. Maybe you'll have a little chat. Maybe you're just checking in with how you are right now in your body. You know, what's coming up for you being in the space, either with just the therapist or with other people in the group. You could have a, a small warm-up. It could be very simple about just planting your feet into the ground and moving a little bit. But that might be more directive if you have a group that you know is going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Some people find leading into movement quite difficult and, and the warm-up and the movement bits of the session are going to look very different from person to person mm-hmm. and from group Absolutely. to group. From the warm-up generally you kind of start sensing some themes that you can explore in the session, but your client may have come to the session and they know exactly what they want to work on today. You know, there's something big that they want to bring into the session. So things might kind of be a little bit more muddled than this. This is really kind of a very general Mm -hmm. view into this. But so when you have a bit of a a theme maybe or, or no theme and you're just kind of seeing what's there, you you try to explore what's there in the movement. You may put a bit of music on or not. It kind of depends what the client wants, what you feel is needed at that point. I would have a props box and maybe you can open that up for the client to have a look at uh, or the group to have a look at. Props are very good, um, especially in groups. You might be moving around the space. And then from that, you might be able to start seeing some symbols in in what the um, experience and the exploration of the theme has been. For example, your client might be playing with the scarves and knotting them and twisting them and it may reflect something to do with the tension they're holding in their body and their feeling in their lives maybe with their, in relation to their trauma and you may be able to, as the therapist, mirror that Um, So you may be able to pick up your own scarf and mirror their movement and they may pick up a scarf another time if that's a prop that works for them and at that point they may be making the same movements, they may be twisting them and knotting them again and you may be allowed to join in into that experience of disentangling something and that may speak to um, the increased trust in the therapeutic relationship for example so these are some kind of examples of metaphors in the experience of the shared movement and the shared use of props that may have some meaning and it can just be I mean these things are so rich so I, I, I love that space where you start understanding things and communicating these things. 
And then you'd have a reflection space. Some clients may not want to share anything at all in words, and that's totally, totally fine. And that's also why I have the art materials, because I always offer for someone who doesn't want to reflect in words or who can't reflect in words, that they can actually draw something or, or write something. And of course, for younger kids, the drawings are perfect and mm -hmm. they may just build something and that's kind of how you reflect on things. And then you'd have the, the checkout. And that's also like a really important thing to have because when you're within the therapeutic space and the therapeutic process together, things can really be opened up. People can, can go into very vulnerable states mm -hmm. and very emotional states. And so the checkout is really to kind of safely close these back up. So that people can go back out into the world, not completely opened and, and wounded. So that's a really, really important step in that. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important to know that, you know, you can move, you can decide not to move, you can talk, you can not talk, you can use the props and not use the props. We can put music on or we can have silence. Mm -hmm. I also like having a few instruments, just small things that people can make noise with. There is therapeutic meaning that can be explored in all states that are brought into the room. Mm -hmm. You know, like there wouldn't be movement, like the movement would mean nothing if there wasn't stillness to kind of counterbalance it. The same way that noise and sounds would probably not mean very much if there wasn't the uh, counterbalance of, of silence. Mm -hmm. So I think all of those states are just so, so important to have in the room and to explore just as they are. Mm -hmm. It's really important what you said in, in my perspective about the the sense of checkout, because I think sometimes if I have, you know, conversations with friends or with people over over the years, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I'll go and I'll do I'll just talk offload and then I walk away. And one, you know, trying to verbalize some stuff is actually very difficult. Like I'm a grown adult and I still struggle to verbalize how I'm feeling. But actually that sense of, you know, just offloading something doesn't mean you've processed it either and that that That's that true. checkout shall we say to close and kind of protect you for a sense until the next time or that you're not like you said going out vulnerable again back into society um, mm -hmm. I think that's a really important piece that in general people should be aware about when it comes to you know therapy or whatever therapy people ch choose to use yeah absolutely I mean it, it takes time you know like a therapeutic relationship it builds over time and taking the time to really go into those processes that's what will affect lasting change and in a way you nearly have when you go into therapy you nearly have to be willing to to really explore that and what's nice to know is that you have the therapist this is a trained person mm -hmm. who's going to hold that space for you you know who's going to journey with you and really reflect things back with you and I think that's it's just such a beautiful way of doing things even if you're exploring something that that is really traumatic but that is really painful. There is a way that can be just hell. And and I think that's a, a good turn of phrase in the hold that space, because in the podcast I've been recording so far, that's a phrase that's come up. Mm. But I think as well, we're so quick to, you know, with social media or whatever, the way we interact as in general as humans, it's like, I need that instant response, or I need you to text me mm. back straight away, or I need a response to an email, I need a voice note back, or the, the way I feel that society is starting to communicate is kind of somewhat transactional. And sometimes you do just mm -hmm. need that space there for you when you're ready to 
approach and come out and it's like, okay, you know, we, we're having a conversation, whether it's just with your friend, but that there's, you feel there's a space there for you if you need to open up. Yeah. And I just think that's a, that's a key thing is in relation now that we're talking about in, in the therapeutic sense is that it's a space that's being held for you for when you're ready and for what you need it for at that time. Yeah, exactly. Cause it's very much client led, as I said before, it's the goal, your goals, your therapeutic goals are going to be discussed with the therapist when you go and see them. So it's, it's what you want to get out of it and how the therapist can help you with that mm-hmm. in that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And dance and movement therapists, are, do they all tend to be in private practice? Is there, you know, is dance therapy and movement therapy seen within, say, the HSE? I know, you know, I've heard of art therapy being used um, on a low level scale, but I also think that art therapy is in terms of all the creative therapies. It's the one that kind of has its nose out in front in terms of being known. But is dance and movement therapy something that's seen as beneficial? Is it even seen? Is it being used in these different mediums or is it kind of very much so at the moment in a private practice realm? So when I moved to Ireland, I knew that there weren't going to be very many people uh, doing the same thing as me. And that was also my point of linking in with IACAT. I wanted to, I I live in Donegal and and I think there's only one other creative art therapist who actually lives and practices in this county and County Donegal is quite big. So um, it felt pretty lonely just to start with. And I actually chased down all of the dance therapists (laughs) that I could find both in in the south and in the north and I I brought them together I said look we need to start a group and it's just us dance therapists and we can discuss you know whatever we want to discuss and kind of talk about our challenges and successes and everything from the kind of few details that I know of of uh, the other dance therapists in the country it's mostly uh, it's mostly private practice uh, if you like you could have a contract so you're self-employed and, and you would have contracts with maybe schools the refugee organizations mental health organizations and things like that but mostly you're still self-employed mm-hmm. from being on IACAT I actually know that there are no dance therapists in the HSE there there are no dance therapists employed by the mm-hmm. HSE which is definitely an issue and, and certainly something that from an ICAT council member point of view is, is something that that we're working on of course and I have a definitely a vested interest in this stuff kind of coming to fruition because dance movement psychotherapy is the least well-known uh, creative arts therapy modality you know alongside art therapy drama therapy and music therapy and there are the least of us in the country Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But as a country who thrives itself off being famous for dancing, would you not think we would utilize such a, <laughs> such a medium, you know? Yeah, yeah, I know. I suppose it's like there might be kind of nearly an unconscious understanding that dance therapy is a different layer of of relating to your body. Mm-hmm. And I'd say a lot of people are quite scared of that. Mm-hmm. It, it can be so real for people, you know, and it, it can be such a vulnerable space. So in fact, I've, I've even called my practice Moving Souls Embodied Therapy. So that is also how I kind of view my practice, which, which is really check in with the inside and see how that comes out on the outside, but trying not to focus too much on the dance. And I think that the fact that it is called dance movement psychotherapy can be very scary for people, very difficult to understand it very easy to misunderstand it mm-hmm. and yeah to to kind of mistake it for a dance class or or a dance workshop or whatever yeah there are clients that 
absolutely you can call it dance but at the crux of things what I would be doing as a dance therapist with a client in the session is I would observe their movement and I would relate with them in movement and non-movement you know and the the way that you embody your own experience and how you understand that is is kind of where I put my focus on anyway in in my practice Mm -hmm. and of course the whole COVID thing has brought a whole new layer of things because we've been discussing ideas such as like you know when you're in the same space with someone and you get to really feel their energy and if they're on the other side of the screen they they've just gone into a space of the room that you're not able to see so there's a there's a lot of challenges with with working within our current worldwide situation Mm -hmm. as dance therapists and there's something really nice about being able to come back face to face and actually organizing sessions in the same space and all that yeah I can only imagine that loss of feeling of kind of a connection you know there's a difference between if you're sitting having a a conversation like you and I are having this conversation over over zoom but if we were having this conversation in person I think we would both feel like maybe some sort of a a vibe or a connection I, I get that when I meet people anyways and I definitely think that in something such as dance or movement therapy that it it's based off the essence and the vibes that you're putting out I can only imagine how difficult that is, especially if it hasn't been like a relationship that has been built up already. Because it's quite hard, like you see, so we're seeing each other, but you can only see like from kind of my chest up. And like, I was just thinking, you don't know what kind of shoes I'm wearing or how my legs are or what my hands are doing when they're out of the screen, you know, and and I can't see that either for you. And of course, we can get meaning from all the parts of the body, but like it does cut out a lot of information or even how you're relating yourself to the space and how we're able to relate to each other because what's separating us is we're seeing each other through the screen. So it just brings up a lot of challenges. And I can imagine yeah. even sitting in the chair, like right now I'm just sitting however is comfortable for me. But if mm. I was in that sort of space, I might be different. And even I, I was thinking after you were saying how people relate to dance, a thought I had was in relation to, shall we say, when people are talking, you can kind of choose your words and you can choose what to release and you can choose what to let out. But I think sometimes if you get, if you like really commit to an artistic process, whether it's expression through music or through dance or through movement or through art, that sometimes you get lost in that and it can I, I can just imagine like for me it would probably take me by surprise a lot more than if I was in a talk therapy setting because I would be very mm. conscious of my words when I'm getting it out whereas if I just let myself feel I, I know it's happened before that I only I just get overcome with whatever is there and I think even that sort of aspect of it through an online medium is I, I think it would be better in an in person so I'm glad it is starting to get back in person yeah Actually, funnily enough, we we did have that conversation, but some people have found it, that was gleaned through feedback, you know, from clients, but some people have found it easier to be behind a screen because even though you're seen, it nearly anonymizes a little bit, you know, what you're doing. There's like a veil or something. Mm -hmm. And I know I've experienced being able to grow my movement practice a little bit more to step into myself more when witnessed through the screen now I I want to grow that even more and and be with people in person I think some people have actually been able to kind of thrive of that but it hasn't made it any easier for the therapist no you know what I mean so it's really been kind of a different relationship to the screen some people would have had a lot of difficulties and and 
even things like uh, working with kids and, you know, how do you make sure that they have a safe space and all that? Yeah, it can be really difficult. Mm-hmm. So I suppose in terms of dance and movement therapy, who do you think would maybe benefit from experiencing dance and movement therapy? So I think that it would benefit everyone and anyone, like people of all ages, genders, backgrounds, abilities. And then it's just kind of a question of finding which modality is going to suit you really and not go to dance therapy just because you like dance but because it's going to help you to connect with your body and with your movement and the same thing with the other creative arts therapies you know not go to music therapy because you like music or because you can play an instrument those aren't the reasons for going to Mm -hmm. to each modality really do you want to connect your body to explore that do you do you know that you have maybe an area that's that's hard with that you can go and see a dance therapist and the third layer of that is is that particular therapist going to suit you because it mm-hmm. it's a relational thing as well and you may go and see a therapist and you know that the modality is going to be perfect for you but you don't gel with the therapist that's possible mm-hmm. and that's totally fine you know and that's why as creative arts therapists you know we have we have large networks we're connected with each other and we can go to our friends and our colleagues and say here I have this referral in this area and they will benefit from drama or dance can you take them and things like that so it's really kind of working together rather than against each other as well Mm -hmm. which is which is lovely my particular interest would be around trauma uh, psychiatry mental health and mothers and children I just recently signed up to do a CPD on trauma healing. We've also done some CPD, quite a lot of that on bereavement, grief and loss. I think that's really important to kind of, it's a CPD is continued professional development. So Mm -hmm. to do those courses that will make sure that you are at the top of your game to help your clients as best as you can with what presenting issues they have, to really continue to educate yourself on a variety of subjects to be the best therapist you can be for your clients. And in terms of you, you you spoke about continuous personal development or professional development, my apologies. But in terms of that, so as a as a creative art therapist or as a therapist in general, I think people should be doing that or as a professional in general in whatever realm you're doing, um, particularly mental health. We should always be looking to upskill and kind of continuously educate ourselves. But in terms of being a creative art therapist, what, what is that kind of like? What are the different aspects that you see that are important in your professionalism or your professional role as a creative art therapist? Yeah, so there's definitely um, quite a lot of kind of admin bits that you have to do, like make sure you have your Garda vetting or, you know, your insurance set up and everything. If you're going to be working as self-employed, if you're a creative arts therapist in Ireland, become a member of IGAT, the Irish Association of Creative Arts Therapists. That's really important because it gives you that kind of support network. And there's a lot of work that's being done from from the organization's point of view and high 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 up on the list is having a supervisor uh, that you go and see regularly and you go to that space to bring your clients to that basically so you what you have experienced in your sessions with Mm -hmm. your clients you bring them to supervision and your supervisor helps you to think about your clients with you so in a way it's kind of like a double safety for your clients you know if you're going to see a dance movement therapist or another creative arts therapist you know that that therapist is being supervised by someone Mm -hmm. and is helping them hold the space for them even better so the therapist (laughs) we're human beings so we're in the space we're as therapists but we're also human beings and, and things will come up for us when things are brought up by the client in the space 
at times that can be really helpful and that's called counter-transference. You can, you can use that. You can use the information that you are feeling that's coming up for you. And then dance therapy, it's even more interesting because they call it um, somatic counter-transference where you feel it in your body. You, you're mm-hmm. trained to, to know that that's happening and to recognize it and to use it to understand your client. But there might be times where that's happening and you just you're just not sure what that means. So you go to your supervisor and, and you explain what's happened in the session. And of course, everything's confidential. You don't share names or anything like that. You know what what you've created for the clients is a confidential space. But when you go and see your supervisor, you can say what's happened and what happened within yourself. And maybe you need help to find out what that was. And your supervisor is going to be there to, mm-hmm. to help you with that. And at times they may say, now you need to go and see your therapist and, and <laughs> deal with that. Because mm-hmm. there are some things, you know, that will come up for you as a therapist and you don't want to be bringing that into your sessions with your clients. And I think it's important that as therapists, we continue to look at what our, at what mm-hmm. our shit is, you know. Yeah, and I think as well, it's important to be conscious of that, like as a Joe Soap going in, shall I say, I'm I'm taking all of this weight that's on me and I'm putting it on you or I'm processing it with someone else. But it's also important to to see the flip side of it that, you know, you are humans and therapists or counselors, whoever we're talking to are humans and they also need to process their own. Like you said, we all have our own shit. So <laughs> we need to be mindful of processing that. And I think it's a really important thing that people are aware of in the sense that you do have that professional supervision for supporting them but that as therapists that that you're practicing what you're preaching that you know you're saying you know come to me and I'll support you but that you're also independently personally going and getting support for your own space as well there's a huge amount of of self-care involved in being a therapist to a variety of clients it's very important that clients know anyone that comes to see a therapist a dance therapist or whatever other modalities that they know that whatever they bring into the space is okay, you know, that will be held and that will be explored with the therapist. Everything can be brought into the space and they don't have to be scared to bring up like even the darkest parts of themselves because the therapist is trained to hold that. And we are trained to hold that. We do all of these things. We we do practice what we preach. You know, I use movement a lot to process stuff that come up for me in my own life and with clients and with my family whatever I experience in my life and I see a supervisor and I see a therapist and I have my networks and all of these things kind of work together to make you the best therapist you can be to be there and hold whatever the the client brings up and I think it's also important to say that when you're saying you know this offloading uh, action that can happen in in the session from the client's point of view, that the client needs to know that as therapists, we're going to hold the client in mind, but we're not going to be bogged down by whatever they bring in. We have ways to hold that in a way that doesn't crush us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably an important thing for, for anyone to know mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And of course, like from a, from a personal point of view, like as a therapist, you will know from practicing that what your boundaries are. So you will know how many clients a week you can take. You will know how much you can hold and how much is too much. Mm-hmm. And so you can work within those boundaries yourself. And that makes it safe for the client. 
Absolutely. Like, and I think it is, it, it's definitely important that people are aware that you are aware, shall we say, of these boundaries and are treating that self-care in the sense of like, you know, we all might in terms of our jobs, like, oh, I had a bad day. So I'm going to go lie on the couch and watch Netflix. And that could be fine for some jobs where I, I think I've worked all my life in kind of the social care realm. And that's always a, a job that I can't necessarily sign off on. I used to work retail to pay my way through college. And that was a job I could sign off from. So I'm like, okay, yeah. the, the shop is closed. I don't need to think about this. I might be like, oh, yeah. I have to do that order. But that's not it. But when it comes to actually communicating and connecting with people and the kind of roles that we all kind of fulfill, that's not something you can, well, I, I definitely can't anyways, just turn off at the end of the day. Mm-mm. I am human after all. So I think it's really important that we are acknowledging and emphasizing the fact that that protection or that, you know, mechanisms are there yeah. to help the professionals as well. To, to kind of bounce off what you were saying, I think it, it's important to say, like, as a therapist, you hold your clients in your mind a lot of the time. You know, you, you think about how, how to best be in the space and how to best support them in the space when you see them mm-hmm. there's a lot of extra thinking that's done on the side of course at times you know I have, I have a partner I have a family I have a daughter I have a, a house to run and there will be time where that is what I'm doing because that is my life but when, I think when you're a therapist is nearly kind of like a you know it's a way of life you know you mm-hmm. want to be thinking about about the people you work with you want mm-hmm. to hold them in mind mm-hmm. No, Amy, thank you so much for having a conversation with me today. Like it was very interesting for me and it was very uplifting for me to kind of get the insight into dance and movement therapy because I would have known about it. But I think I definitely learned a lot from even just having this conversation with you. I really, really enjoyed being able to talk about it. It's just something I'm really passionate about and I love talking about it and I want more people to know about it. So this Mm -hmm. is just thank you so much for having me anyway. Just no problem really at all. <laughs> and I and I think a lot more people do need to start knowing about this and we do need to be having this is the whole premise behind the podcast is we do need to be having more conversations about more things in relation to mental health I suppose and people finding out more about it like that's something we'd love for them to do how can people find out about you know dance therapy in Ireland and maybe find out about you or anything like that do you have any social medias where can people find some information Yes, yeah, so I'm actually currently on the IACAT Council, so you can go on the IACAT website, so that's the Irish Association for Creative Art Therapists, IACAT.ie, and you can find a little blurb about me on the council page. And I also am available through email, which is uh, Noemi, that's my name, so it's N-O-E-M-I-E dot moving dot souls at gmail.com. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook as at moving soul dot and body therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on my on the council page on the IACAT website, I also have a link to my mini website, which is connected to the IACAT website. And there's a lot more information about dance movement therapy. It's just one page, so it's actually quite brief, but mm-hmm. you can find me there. There's a contact page there as well. Uh, and a photo of me if, if you want to know what I look like. <laughs> okay. Great stuff. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with me and Noemi going through all things dance and movement psychotherapy and all the socials there at the end. And um, as I said at the start, this is part four in the series that I've done with IACAT. So we've already had episodes introducing who IACAT are. We have had an episode about art therapy, drama therapy. This is dance and movement therapy. Next week episode is talking about music therapy. 
I hope you're enjoying the series. And if you have any questions, do reach out to ICANN on social media. You can reach out to me on social media. It's at thegreenelephant.ie on Facebook and Instagram. And it's at greenelephantmh on Twitter. Thank you for joining and helping create a space to have conversations about mental health. So yeah, thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for the episode with Jessica and Leslie, who are music therapists. And yeah, so we'll see you next time. Address the elephant in the room. Your mental health matters.